0: Hello, this is Father Neil here, and welcome to my podcast, Catechism with Father Neil, for this, the February 7th edition. And today we'll be looking at Numbers 238 through 248 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. 2. The Revelation of God as Trinity, the Father revealed by the Son. Paragraph 238. Many religions invoke God as Father. The deity is often considered the Father of gods and of men. In Israel, God is called Father inasmuch as he is the creator of the world. Even more, God is Father because of the covenant and the gift of the law to Israel, his firstborn son. God is also called the Father of the King of Israel, most especially He is the father of the poor, of the orphaned, of the widowed, who are under his loving protection. 239. By calling God Father, the language of faith indicates two main things. That God is the first origin of everything and transcendent authority, and that he is at the same time goodness and loving care for all his children. God's parental tendencies can also be expressed by the image of motherhood, which emphasizes God's immanence, the intimacy between creator and creature. The language of faith thus draws on the human experience of parents who are, in a way, the first representatives of God for a man. But this experience also tells us that human parents are fallible, and can disfigure the face of fatherhood and motherhood. We ought, therefore, to recall that God transcends the human distinction between the sexes. He is neither man nor woman. He is God. He also transcends human fatherhood and motherhood, although he is their origin and standard. No one is father as God is father. Two forty, Jesus revealed that God is Father in an unheard of sense. He is Father, not only in being Creator. He is eternally Father in relation to his only Son, who is eternally Son only in relation to to his Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 241 For this reason, the apostles confessed Jesus to be the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, as the image of the invisible God, as the radiance of the glory of God and the very stamp of his nature. Paragraph 242 Following this apostolic tradition, The Church confessed at the First Ecumenical Council at Nicaea in 325 that the Son is consubstantial with the Father, that is, one only God with him. The Second Ecumenical Council held at Constantinople in 381 kept this expression in the formulation of the Nicene Creed and confessed the only begotten Son of God Born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. The Father and the Son revealed by the Spirit. Paragraph 243. Before his Passover, Jesus announced the sending of another paraclete, advocate, the Holy Spirit, at work since creation, having previously spoken through the prophets. The Spirit will now be with and in the disciples, to teach them and guide them into all the truth. The Holy Spirit is thus revealed as another divine person with Jesus and the Father. 244. The eternal origin of the Holy Spirit is revealed in his mission and in time. The Spirit is sent to the Apostles, and to the Church, both by the Father, in the name of the Son, and by the Son in person, once he had returned to the Father. The sending of the person of the Spirit after Jesus' glorification reveals in its fullness the mystery of the Holy Trinity. 245. The apostolic faith concerning the Spirit was confessed by the Second Ecumenical Council at Constantinople in 381 i believe in the holy spirit the lord and giver of life who proceeds from the father by this confession the church recognizes the father as the source and origin of the whole divinity by the but the eternal origin of the spirit is not unconnected with the son's origin the holy spirit the third person of the trinity is god one and equal with the father and the son of the same substance and also of the same nature. Yet he is not called the Spirit of the Father alone, but the Spirit of both the Father and the Son. The Creed of the Church from the Council of Constantinople confesses, who was with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. 246. The Latin tradition of the Creed confesses confesses that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Filioque. The Council of Florence, in 1438, explains, The Holy Spirit is eternally from the Father and Son. He has his nature and substance at once, simul, from the Father and the Son. He proceeds eternally from both, as from one principle, and through one spiration. And since the Father has Through generation given to the only begotten Son everything that belongs to the Father, except being the Father, the Son has also eternally from the Father, from whom he is eternally born, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son. 247. The affirmation of the Filioque does not appear in the Creed confessed in 381 at Constantinople, but Pope Saint Leo I following an ancient Latin and Alexandrian tradition, had already confessed it dogmatically in 447, even before Rome. In 451, at the Council of Chalcedon, came to recognise and receive the symbol of 381. The use of this formula in the creed was gradually admitted into the Latin liturgy between the 8th and 11th centuries. The introduction of the Filioque into the Niceno-Constantinopolitan creed by the Latin liturgy constitutes, moreover, even today, a point of disagreement with the Orthodox Churches. 248. At the outset of the Eastern tradition, expressed expresses the Father's character as first origin of the Spirit, by confessing the Spirit as he who proceeds from the Father. It affirms that he comes from the Father through the Son. The Western tradition expresses first the consubstantial communion between Father and Son by saying that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, filioque. It says this legitimately and with good reason. For the eternal order of the divine persons in their consubstantial communion implies that the Father, as the principle without principle, Is the first origin of the Spirit, but that the Father of the only Son, He is with the Son the single principle from which the Holy Spirit proceeds. This legitimate complementarity, provided it does not become rigid, does not affect the identity of faith in the reality of the same mystery confessed. So, this was a long enough section today, and I just want to really look at two different aspects from it. Again, it's a very deep meditation on the fatherhood of God, very theological as well. But there are two things that I wanted to underline. First of all, towards the beginning, when it's speaking about divine fatherhood and human fatherhood and also human motherhood. And it's this fact that God is Father, and we say God is Father, and obviously the first, our first point of reference for the fatherhood of God is the father that each of us had. And some of us may have had good fathers, others may not have had such a good experience with our fathers in the flesh, and so for many people this causes some difficulty relating with God as Father considering that they didn't have a great relationship with their human father. And also the other thing that we must remember is that no matter how good our father was or is, this relationship is nothing in comparison to the relationship that we have with God as father. God's fatherhood, first of all, is not physical. God didn't physically give birth to us. He didn't physically conceive us. And also, the fatherhood of God is greater. You know, that God is, yes, somewhat like our human father, or somewhat like the best human father that ever could be, but also he is so far above this. And so really the Catechism reminds us that God isn't either father or mother. He's not male or female. But that, in a sense, he shows the best forms of fatherhood and motherhood and yet we use this, this image, very much because this is an image that, um, that was revealed to us in the Scripture. The Scripture often compares God to a father, especially in the Old Testament. It's very beautiful, this father of the orphan, father of the widow, father of the poor. And then, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus reveals God as father. And when he teaches his apostles to pray, the first thing he says is our father, that this revelation of God as father, as Abba, as daddy, as uh, dad. This loving relationship is something fantastic that Jesus reveals to us. And then the second part is the much more technical part at the end, speaking about the creed and uh, this um, this phrase, this famous phrase, filioque. Filioque is a Latin word that means and the son. So uh, it says the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son in the creed. When we go to mass on Sunday, we recite the long creed. It says that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Latin word is filioque. And this is a bone of contention between the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Churches. Because it's true, the Orthodox Churches point out, that it doesn't come from the early councils. And yet this word, through many of the different parts of history, found its way into the creed in the West. And so today what the Catholic Church says very simply is that it's a complicated thing and that, um, first of all, that the word filioque is true, is real, has a good explanation and that we will continue to use it. However, that we don't put that this is a condition for the Eastern Churches. The Eastern Churches never used it, so we don't insist that they use it today. It's not for us an unsurmountable obstacle for communion. However, in the dialogues with the East that have been going along on for centuries, going back to the Council of Florence and these ancient councils, that we we would like the Orthodox Churches to acknowledge that our understanding of filioque is legitimate, is right, and that this is again a very complicated, thorny issue But it is one that um, sometimes the best way for ecumenism, for bringing peace between the different churches, is to deal with the reality as it is. Not to pretend that things, that differences aren't there. Not to pretend that disagreements of theology aren't there. But to sit down and say, what do you understand? What do we understand? Can we come to a common understanding? Can we come to an understanding, and the Catholic Church is willing to come to understandings with the other Christian bodies. But again, the Catholic Church cannot deny her patrimony. Cannot go back on the content of the faith. Cannot go back on on the dogma, on the deposit of the teaching of the Catholic Church that was given to her by Christ, that developed through the centuries. Yes, we can change nuance. Yes, as we've seen before, if a particular word is problematic... If we can find another word that expresses the same reality, then that's fine. We've no difficulty with this. But that we need to deal with this in a truthful way, in a serious way. And please God, come to a serious understanding with the other Christians that allows us to recommence communion with them. So anyway, so we'll continue tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll be looking at numbers 249 to 256.